Good morning, good to be with you and worship with you. That was a sweet time. We just sang some really deep truths. And this morning I want to talk to you about life-changing love. And, uh, and we just sang about it, amazing love. But um, what I want to look at is uh, look at sort of common examples of it and then get into the supreme example of it. And so first, though, I'd like to start off by reading God's Word. If you turn with me to Matthew chapter 27, starting in verse 15. Matthew 27, verse 15. Jesus is standing before Pilate. Now it was the governor's custom at the feast to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, Which one do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus who is called the Christ? For he knew it was out of envy that they had handed Jesus over to him. While Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message. Don't have anything to do with that innocent man, for I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. Which of the two do you want me to release to you? asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. What shall I do then with Jesus, who is called the Christ? Pilate asked. They all answered, Crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed? asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, Crucify him! When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood, he said. It is your responsibility. All the people answered, Let his blood be on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas to them, but he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, and thank you for the great sacrifice that Jesus made for us. And I pray now, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight. O Lord our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So yeah, my premise I get from a great book uh, written by Tim Keller called King's Cross, and he says this, that all real, life-changing love is substitutionary sacrifice. All real, life-changing love is substitutionary sacrifice. And so I want to look at a, a few common examples and then conclude with the supreme example. So first we see this in parenting. Children are in a total state of dependency, right? From the age of their birth, um, they, they need their diapers changed, they need to be breastfed, they need to be bathed, they need to be fed, and you gotta do this over and over again. And so mothers are amazing people. They, they make so many sacrifices for the benefit of their children. Uh, my wife and I, uh, as Rick introduced us, have four children. This is a picture of them. 
Our oldest, Noah, now, or our youngest, sorry, Noah, is four, so we're out of certain phases, so we're thankful for that. But my wife has made tremendous sacrifices in caring for the kids, right? You read to them books that are less than intellectually stimulating, right? Um, basic colors, you know, blue, red, you know, and you, you go through the books. But why do you do that? You do that because you love them and you want them to develop intellectually. And so as a parent, you make sacrifices so that your children grow into, um, into healthy adults, right? You want them to grow emotionally, intellectually, all these things. And so basically, uh, you, you have to make sacrifices. You put your life on hold and make a lot of sacrifices for probably about 20 years so that they can grow into um, you know, healthy, older children. But a lot of parents aren't willing to make the sacrifices. So you have children that are growing up physically, but who are still emotionally like, like children. They're underdeveloped, right? And, and therefore, a lot of problems. Uh, so it's either the parent makes the sacrifice or the child pays, right? And so, again, you see that in parenting, that all real life-changing um, love is substitutionary sacrifice. And uh, my parents are here with me today, and I'm thankful for the sacrifices they made uh, for me. And uh, the second spot we see this is even in nature. God has created and, and, and put this in nature. And so we see even the example of a mother hen with her chicks. In the National Geographic, there was an article where after a massive forest fire in Yellowstone National Park, a few surveyors went out, they hiked up and, and to survey the damage after the fire. And they noticed, huddled up against a tree, kind of the petrified, carbonized shell of a, of a bird, uh, right, huddled up right against the base of a tree. And kind of sickened by the eerie sight, one of the rangers knocked it over with a stick, and three little chicks came scurrying out from under the... the the petrified bones of the mother. And um, she had been willing to stay there and, and, and absorb the, the fire, the, right? be burned, be petrified, so that her chicks would live. And that's amazing that, that she would do that. And, um, and listen to what Jesus says in Luke 13, verse 34. He says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills her prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I have longed to gather you as a hen gathers her chicks underneath her. This is the way Jesus loves us. Jesus was willing to be petrified, to be burned under the wrath of God so that we can scurry out like little chicks, running freely. Um, and that's amazing love. You see this language throughout the Bible that God loves us and that we're safe under the shadow of his wings. He brought Israel out of Egypt and carried them like an eagle carries her young uh, on her wings. And so we, we see this rich language that points. Uh, and then we also see that all real life-changing love is substitutionary sacrifice when we look at forgiveness itself. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, all forgiveness is a form of suffering. All forgiveness is a form of suffering. And, uh, 
And you see this in any type of common examples. If I lend uh, one of you my iPhone and you drop it and break it, I can do one of two things. I can either make you go out and buy me a new iPhone, or I can forgive you. But if I forgive you, it involves a payment for me. Either I go without communication, which my wife would not be happy about, or I, um, I have to go buy a new iPhone, right? So there's a payment involved. Um, that's true if, if someone hurts you, right? If someone insults you or ruins your reputation. The natural response would be to hurt them back, right? If not, you absorb it. If you forgive them, you absorb that. But it's agony. It's painful, right? So all forgiveness is a form of suffering. And we know that anybody who's ever done anything that made a difference for us, either a parent, a teacher, a mentor, a friend, a coach, sacrificed in some way. Therefore, it makes sense that a God who is far more loving than you and I, who came into the world to deal with our sin, would have to make a substitutionary sacrifice. To end the cycle of evil, sin, and death, God himself became a man and paid the penalty for us. You see, in creation, God could say, let there be light, and there was light, right? Or he could say, let the earth sprout vegetation, and the earth sprouted vegetation. He could say, let, the, let there be sun, moon, and stars, and there was sun, and moon, and stars. But he could not say, let there be forgiveness. That's not the way forgiveness works. God created the world in an instant, and it was a beautiful process. He recreated the world on the cross, and it was a horrible process. That's how it works. Love that really changes things, that redeems things, is always a substitutionary sacrifice. And we see this even in good books, like I love C.S. Lewis, um, The Chronicles of Narnia, and in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, right? Aslan, the great character, the great lion, dies in the place of Edmund, this traitor, right? And we read this, when a willing victim who had committed no treachery was killed in a traitor's stead, the table would crack and death itself would start working backward. And uh, Lewis here is borrowing heavily from the Gospels. So this is why Jesus had to come and die. You know, Jesus predicted his death many times. He said the Son of Man must suffer. It wasn't optional. It wasn't like, oh, this happened by accident. No, he knew his death was not incidental to his mission. It was the very center of his mission. And Jesus said it over and over. In Mark 10, 45, he said, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus Christ came not to be served, but to die, to give his life. You know, that sets Christianity apart from every other religion. Every other religion, their leader came as an example. Jesus came as a sacrifice. Jesus gave his life as a ransom for many. He came as a substitutionary sacrifice. Ransom means to buy the freedom of a slave or prisoner. And so we see Jesus bought us out of slavery. There had to be a payment in order for us to be forgiven. And so the cross is really the self-substitution of God. 
And as we look at our text now, again, uh, we look at the story of Barabbas. This is one of the most clearest spots where we see this, this great exchange. Um, again, we read in verse 15. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release to the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. So this was the Passover feast, and they had this habit that they would release um, a prisoner to the crowd. Pilate was a, a crowd pleaser. He wanted to please the crowd. He was the governor at the time. And it was Passover, and so to please the Jews, he would release a prisoner, kind of in honor of celebrating you know, their, their coming out of the prison of Egypt. And so he'd release a prisoner. And so they had this notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, Who do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called the Christ? Now, in the Bible, names are very significant. So I encourage you, try to find out what do the names mean. Throughout the Bible, we see this, right? Uh, If you look at the Old Testament, for example, you look at the name Moses. Moshe means to be drawn out because he was drawn out of the Nile as a baby. But also, God used him to draw the people out of bondage in Israel, right, into the promised land. And what did he, he, they went through the Red Sea. And so his name was like his life's purpose. Same with Elijah. Elijah means um, Yahweh is my God, right? Yahweh is Elohim. And so, um, again, that was his whole life's purpose was his name, right? To declare to a syncretistic society that was worshiping both Baal and Yahweh, He said, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. And uh, and every time you said his name, you were basically saying, the Lord is my God. So it's like, hello, the Lord is my God. It was like a reminder of his mission, of his purpose on earth. And so when we look at Jesus, of course, we have two names here, Jesus and Barabbas. Jesus, Yeshua, means Yahweh saves that the Lord rescues. That was the the reason he was born. That's what the angel said to Joseph at his birth. You will have a son and you will name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And then you have Barabbas. Bar in Aramaic means son of. And Abba means daddy. It's a very generic name, son of daddy. And so you have Jesus here and you have Bar-Abba. Some scholars even think that Jesus was sometimes referred to as Bar-Abba, the son of Abba, because of his habit of referring to God in prayer as Abba. Remember how he'd pray, Abba, Father. And uh, so it's interesting, this contrast. You have Barabbas and you have Jesus. Barabbas was a wicked sinner. He was wretched, right? In our text, we read he was a notorious prisoner. That's in Matthew. In Mark and Luke, you read that uh, he committed murder during an insurrection. And John calls him a thief or a robber. So collectively, Barabbas is a murderer, a thief, and a robber, right? Pretty wretched guy. But whenever you read the text, I invite you to place yourself within it. And the truth is, we are Barabbas. We are all the son or the daughter of a father. We're all notorious sinners, if we're honest, and we sit in the prison cell of our, our, our sin and shame. And we're all murderers, robbers, and notorious sinners, right? And you say, oh, come on, don't exaggerate, I'm not a murderer. Well, did you hear what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount? 
You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But whoever says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. So, okay, I've called my brother a fool. Anyone been angry with their brother? Anyone? If you have a brother, pretty much you've been angry with him. <laughs> so, so, yeah, guilty of murder. Well, I'm not a thief. Really? You've never stolen anything? What about you ever robbed someone of their reputation by the words you used? So the truth is we're not very different than Barabbas. This guy named Doug Greenwald says this, when God's holiness is the plumb line, we are all robbers, murderers, and notorious sinners. Now that's a sobering perspective, and that is another reason why we find Barabbas in the passion narratives. He is we. As such, we all have no hope and justifiably sit in the prison of our own sin, awaiting final judgment. And so as he sat there, let, let's read the text. The text continues. For, for Pilate knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. So Pilate knows the religious leaders here don't really have a case. Besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, have nothing to do with that righteous man. Do you realize that Jesus was a righteous man, the only righteous man who ever lived? There's Jesus, and then there's the rest of us. And the rest of us are like Barabbas. We're sinners. For I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to destroy Jesus. The governor again said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release to you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with Jesus, who is called the Christ? And they all said, Crucify him. And he said, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him. Now, I want you to put yourself in Barabbas' shoes for a minute. I want you to imagine what it was like for him. Here he is in the prison cell, probably with an earshot of what's going on with the crowd outside yelling. And he's sitting there knowing that, that he's about to die that day. And die a horrible death. Crucifixions were common, but, but, but a horrible death back in the day. General Varus crucified 6,000 Jews in a day. And they would line them up usually along the streets about so that you could look right in their eyes as they were hanging there, being tortured. It was basically like state-sponsored terror, you know? You'd walk out, you'd say, whoa, I don't want to mess with the Romans. And so here's Barabbas sitting in his prison cell, realizing, I deserve to die. I've committed murder. And then you hear in the distance the crowd yelling your name, Barabbas. You think, what's going on? Why are they yelling my name? And then a little while later, you hear them yell, crucify him. And then even louder, crucify him. And as he processes this crowd noise, he hears the footsteps of the jailer coming up to his cell. And the keys dangle in the door, and he opens it up, and Barabbas begins to shake, knowing what awaits him, and his heart is just beating out of his chest. And the, the guard comes up and takes the shackles off his wrists and off his ankles, 
And Barabbas knows his time has come. This is the day of his death. And he hears words he never expected to hear. Barabbas, you're free. Go. What? How can this be? Jesus has taken your place. Jesus is going to go be crucified in your place so that you can be set free. He had probably heard of Yeshua, this one, this, one, this great rabbi who ran around teaching and healing people, whose name means the Lord rescues. Barabbas has been given the privilege of being one of the first people to realize the significance of what it means to be rescued, to be pardoned from death row by Jesus. Did he grasp the enormity of it all? The writers give us no clue. We don't know. The text is silent. But a few hours later, I wonder if maybe Barabbas witnessed Jesus being crucified. He saw the nails going into his hand on the tree, and he thought, those should have been my hands there. And he saw the nails going into his feet and thought, that should have been me on that cross. Then perhaps he heard Jesus say, Father, forgive them. They know not what they are doing. In the greatest act of love in, in human history, Jesus forgave them. When we crucified the only innocent, the only righteous Son of God and asked that a murderer be released to us, Jesus says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they are doing. Perhaps he even heard the Roman centurion say, Surely this man was the Son of God. It seems so unfair that this notorious prisoner would go free and that Jesus, the righteous one, would be crucified. And that's substitutionary atonement. That's propitiation. John, the beloved disciple who stood there right next to his mother, Jesus, and witnessed that, said, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent him as a propitiation for our sins. Propitiation means God no longer looks on us with wrath and with anger because Jesus absorbed that on the cross. He was consumed like that mother hen. Now God looks on us favorably, propitiously, because of the sacrifice of atonement that Jesus has done. The question is, we are Barabbas. We're notorious sinners. So how can we, we deserve that wrath? How do we experience the forgiveness? By trusting in what he's done for us. By placing our full faith, our full confidence in what Jesus Christ has done for us. It's either he pays or we pay for eternity. It would be so foolish if the jailer came up to Barabbas and said, you're free to go. And he said, no, I'm going to stay here in the prison cell. We'd think, you're a fool. But how many of us refuse the forgiveness that Jesus offers, refuse the substitutionary sacrifice that he offers, and we say, no, we just want to stay in the prison cell of our guilt and shame. We want to bear the burden. That would be just as foolish as Barabbas saying, no, thanks, I want to stay here. And so what will you do? I don't know what Barabbas did, we're not told, but what will you do with this news? Have you been transformed by that life-changing love, by the love of Jesus Christ, that he would die in our place? 
And now as the worship team comes up and we get ready to sing Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Do you realize you're a wretched sinner? Do you realize you are Barabbas? And do you also realize the amazing grace of Jesus Christ, our substitutionary sacrifice, the one who took our place so that now we can receive the love and the grace and the righteousness and the bounty of, of God and we can give up our sins. We can lay our sins at the cross. We can kneel before the cross and say, Lord, forgive us. And so I pray now that the Holy Spirit will do his work in your hearts. You know what's amazing about Jesus? He continues to transform notorious sinners, wretched sinners like you and me, into self-sacrificing saints. That's what's amazing. He can transform us from me monsters, from selfish people, into self-sacrificing saints. So I pray that he'll do that now. Lord, I pray through the power of your Holy Spirit and through the beauty of the cross, Lord, the horror and the beauty of the cross, that you would transform selfish sinners into self-sacrificing saints. Transform us by your love, Lord, so that we can go out and be agents of transformation in, in loving others through the power of your spirit. And I pray, Lord, if anyone doesn't know you this morning, that you would melt their hearts with the love and the self-sacrificing love of Jesus Christ, Lord. Thank you. Thank you for the cross, Lord, and for your great sacrifice for us. In Jesus' name, amen.